I want to be strong, to have the flexibility and confidence to play soccer with my kids or volleyball on the beach. I want to feel energetic and spontaneous with my husband. I want my body to feel the freedom to move and enjoy life, to hike Yosemite, surf in Hawaii, bike to the beach, to have fun with friends and not be limited. I want to do things that love my body, to feel and experience all the sensations of life. I want my body to be a force in nature that overcomes difficulty and resistance. I believe in health and wellness and daily consistent exercise. Welcome to the Balance by Beth podcast. I'm really excited to have Carol Bartolotto, who is a registered dietitian. She currently works for Tanner Care, which is a health and wellness center located in Monrovia, California. She helps clients reverse heart disease, prevent and reverse diabetes, and create sustainable weight loss. She also consults with individuals, groups, and companies to improve health and support wellness through diet and lifestyle changes. She also has her master's in exercise physiology, and I'm really excited to have her on this podcast. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here with me. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about your journey to become a dietitian. What does that look like? Okay. So um, when I was, anyone that knew me as a kid always thought I would be an interior designer. All I cared about was designing my doll's house. I didn't even want to play dolls. Just wanted to design the house. But um, as a very young child, I saw my grandfather who struggled with diabetes. Um, he was basically, you know, my only memory of my grandfather is him sitting in a wheelchair with no legs, injecting insulin into his abdomen. And my grandmother's like cooking the pasta at the stove. And I remember thinking there must be a better way to treat diabetes than this mm-hmm. at that young age. And then eventually my grandfather uh, died from a heart attack. So definitely a casualty of not having well-managed diabetes and, and having diabetes because it is such a difficult uh, disease. So I became a dietitian because I did not want anybody to suffer like my grandfather suffered. Wow, that's a really amazing story. I'm very sorry about your grandfather. Thank you. Yeah, that's really hard to watch that and to not understand maybe when you're younger. Yeah, I was was afraid of my grandfather. And I have to say I saw a lot of my family members with diabetes, with hypertension, out of control, with heart disease. So just remember Mm -hmm. thinking that I did not want that fate for myself. And I certainly didn't want it for my parents and my immediate family either. So at what point did you realize that was connected to eating? Um, I probably pretty young because I was always sort of fascinated and looking at health information, going to the health food store, although some of that information, you know, was a little misguided or incorrect, um, kind of focusing more on like vitamins and things. But I was uh, very quickly interested in diet and just basically read articles as much as I could about it and then realized that this is probably what I should study and go into. But back then when I was in college, the focus was really on um, preventing diseases through medications and diet um, wasn't really considered as an intervention as much as it is today, Hmm. Um, except for really fringy people. So in you've been practicing as a dietitian for how many years? Uh, for over 25 years. And in that span, how has it changed? 
Um, well, I would say, I mean, a lot of things have changed. There's a lot more people, unfortunately, that are out there sharing information that don't really have the background. So there's a lot more confusion. Um, but on the upside, there's a lot more seriousness. Like, as you know, I worked at Kaiser Permanente for many years, and they're even going to have as part of their medical school nutrition as a pivotal part. Mm -hmm. So I think we really do understand that nutrition is incredibly important, and more and more people are wanting to include that. But what is the optimal nutrition, and what is the best way to go about that? Those are the kind of sticking points. And of course, there's a lot of fad diets or trendy things out there that are interesting, but they don't have that much evidence to support them. So what does the evidence support? Well, the evidence is pretty clear that eating more plant foods and less animal foods is really where we need to move. Um, and despite the fact that you've got the low-carb diet and the paleo diet and these other kinds of diets, um, there is just so much evidence out there, starting you know, with Dean Ornish reverse, being being the first to show that you could actually reverse heart disease through changing your diet. That was published in 1990. Before that, they thought it was impossible. If you had heart disease, you were just stuck with it. Mm -hmm. But with his research and research since then looking at diet and heart disease, um, we know that we can actually reverse it. And um, I think <clears throat> in addition, um, a lot of the research that, you know, Dr. Esselstyn and some of these other physicians looking at the plant-based diet in terms of heart disease. But what's really interesting, and we've talked about this before, is just this concept of the blue zone. So mm -hmm. who lives longer than anyone else around the world? And the blue, do blue zone study was a national geographic study where they wanted to to determine who lives the longest. And when they found, or basically what they found was um, about five or six um, places around the world. One, which is in California, which is Loma Linda, and then there's um, different parts. There's Sardinia, Italy, and mm -hmm. Okinawa, Japan, and a few other places. But they have some commonalities, and that is they're semi-vegetarian, and they eat a cup of beans a day. Mm -hmm. So we know that from a lot of the evidence that we have in terms of reversing disease and some of this observational data and this blue zone uh, research that people live longer if they're eating more plant-based foods. And in between, I mean, there's a study looking at portfolio foods, what um, like eating a, a vegetarian or vegan diet and consuming certain foods lowers cholesterol as much as statin drugs without mm -hmm. all the negative side effects. Um, and then when you look at hypertension, you know, hypertension rises in the U.S. with age. Um, but people that are vegetarians, consume mostly vegetables or eat a low-salt diet, have virtually no increase in hypertension with age. And when you look at diet and cancer, I mean, red meat, which is a big part of the paleo diet, the low-carb diet, um, that increases the risk of colon and rectal cancer. So we know that eating more plant foods is linked with lower risk of heart disease, lower blood pressure, uh, longer longevity. So just in general with better health. Hmm. So you work for Tanner Care and you help clients transition from an American diet to a plant-based diet. Right. What would you say is the biggest obstacle hurdle for people because it does sound like 
research, I actually picked up that National Geographic magazine. It's a beautiful magazine. If you are interested in the Blue Zone diet, I would say uh, listeners to pick that up. Uh, But how do you help people transition? If someone is thinking, oh, I would love to eat more plant-based diet, what is the first thing they should do? Well, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's for some people, it's much easier. They don't really care about animal products. They don't like them that much. And then some people, like me, my parents are from Michigan, and Mm -hmm. we liked barbecue. So for somebody that grew up eating a lot of animal products, it's harder because you've got to find an alternative that works. So I think one of the obstacles is just figuring out what you should be eating and how to do it. Like, what are recipes that work for you? And what could you do instead of, you know, having a barbecue? So you could vegetables. So um, you could find um, a nice veggie patty that you like. Um, You could make your own. So that's one issue. It's just the real meat lovers. But the other and probably bigger issue is that we don't have a lot of time. So many people are just so busy. So it's trying to figure out how can I do this diet? How can I do a plant-based diet and and have recipes that are really easy and doable that will fit in my lifestyle. So finding things that you like and then finding recipes that are easy. So a lot of, you know, most people don't have that much time to cook mm-hmm. or to prepare food. So finding easy things. Is there a website or something you would recommend to find easy websites or easy recipes? Um I really love, I mean, well, t- at NUSAI, um, NUSAI, which is part of sort of the non-for-profit part of um, Tanner Care, does have a website with some recipes, and I also really love Forks Over Knives. Okay. Um, but, you know, for me, my favorite plant-based meal is like a soup and a salad. So I have the this recipe book. Um, And this is one really big, important key with, you know, eating plant-based. You may have a favorite recipe that you have at home, that you prepare at home, and you can adapt it to be plant-based. So I have this Follow Your Heart cookbook with soup recipes. And I, and a lot of them, I haven't consumed dairy for many, many, many years. So some of them do have dairy, but in general, they're vegetarian. Um, And I love to make these recipes. I love to make um, like a pea soup, a lentil soup. Um, I have a a chili recipe and then have that with a salad or maybe with just a serving of vegetables. Like my favorite vegetable is asparagus, for example. So I think um, for me, it's, I think for everybody that's trying to consume more plants, thinking about what do you like and what works for you, I like soups and salads. Um, some people like having um, a veggie burger because they like eating burgers, so then they transition to that. But I don't, that's not really my thing. So part of it is really going sort of within and like, what do you like and how do you want to move forward with food? Because you might love tacos, so you could switch from. Um, you know, having tacos made with beef or turkey to tacos made with lentils or potatoes. So it's sort of looking at what you love and then adapting that. And it's kind of different for everybody. So I do, that's why I love that Follow Your Heart cookbook. But 
with the soups, but there's the Forks Over Knives, which is an excellent website. Mm. The key, I think, is finding uh, recipes and then ideas for meals so that you have them at your fingertips. So it makes it easy. Because mm-hmm. if you come home from work, you've had a tough day, you run out of time, and then you're trying to think, okay, what should I have? It's going to be difficult. But if you have per- um, identified, you know, easy plant-based meals and and go to the store and buy those foods, uh, I think it really helps. And sometimes that means getting that Trader Joe's lentil soup and having that because it's already prepared and it mm-hmm. just makes it really easy. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. So as far as a person who maybe really does like meat and I was looking at the Blue Zone diet and they give a little leeway in there, it seemed like. The people that were in Italy maybe consume just a little bit of sheep or goat. I mean, as far as health-wise. Because I a lot of the people that um, do a vegan diet are doing it for animal rights reasons right. and not necessarily health. So they could eat a whole, they could eat a bunch of French fries and junk food. Yeah. So I would rather see somebody consume less. It's not only good for their health, but environmentally it's good. So if someone like your mother can't make the transition, and I mean, no one is perfect. I know mm-hmm. um, people that will, oh, oh, okay, well, I ate some egg whites. I mean, and even like or the Ornish, Ornish diet, did you know that's not vegan? It's... Um, he allows egg whites and non-fat milk. Mm-hmm. So, so I wonder if we could just talk, just to give, because I feel like people go, ah, I can't do plant-based, so I'm just not going to do it. I think any like, movement how? towards eating more plants and know. less animal foods is really just the... Okay. So, um, okay. so maybe, like, you know, if somebody feels like they can't, then as much as they can. I mean, that's why the Meatless Monday thing is so... Popular, you know, moving in that direction, moving towards more meatless meals. Okay. So as I think about my culture, I come from a Hawaiian culture. My mother was born and raised in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, at a meal, you will typically have a couple meats on the plate. The greens are very small. The rice is pretty big. And then the meat is plentiful. What might you suggest for someone who's trying to transition away from meat, but maybe can't give it up completely? Do you have any suggestions? Yeah. I I mean, I think there's a lot of times there's this hard line between you're either plant-based or you're not plant-based or you're vegetarian, etc. But I do think that the success of that Meatless Monday Or, or why that is so successful is because most people, or many people anyway, have a tough time transitioning. So you do Meatless Monday. You add more meatless meals to your day. One of the easiest meatless meals is breakfast because there are so many alternatives. Um, so instead of having the bacon and eggs, having or the sausage, or et cetera, having oatmeal, having a really nice whole grain cereal, having a smoothie with fruits, and um, so adding breakfast, and then adding multiple 
plant-based meals throughout the week and increasing that. So that is another good strategy. And then also changing the proportions. So you talked about in your family or your culture having a lot of rice. And I know it's the sticky rice, so it's like the white rice. Um, So transitioning to less of that, I don't know if, you know, Certain people may not even be open to trying brown rice, but trying more of the whole grains, having smaller amounts of the animal products, having larger amounts of the vegetables and the fruits. So changing the proportions and increasing the number of meatless meals. So there's this whole movement, this reducitarian. So for health reasons, environmental reasons, just consuming less animal products. So there will be many people that will benefit greatly from doing a plant, a whole foods plant-based diet, but there will also be many people that will benefit greatly from just transitioning to less and less animal products. So there is benefit of just maybe you start out with 50%. Definitely. Less. Or maybe um, like you go plant-based just for breakfast. I mean, if you're used to having meat at every meal, maybe just trying one meal that you don't, then maybe two meals that you don't. So anything moving in that direction will help. Moving in the direction. You know, it was so interesting. One Easter, I had an Easter party at my house and I made chili, but it was, I didn't say, oh, it's a vegan chili. I just said chili. So all these people came over, they all tried the chili. And one of my friends from Texas said, well, I've eaten chili before, but this is the first time I've ever eaten chili that didn't have, I guess where he grew up, it was just basically meat Mm -hmm. and he loved it. He liked it. So, um, Sometimes I think if you think about the foods that you're already consuming, many people maybe have pasta with marinara, many people already have lentil soup or maybe another soup like a split pea soup where it's easy to just not have any animal product in it. I think that's a place to start for most people because for many people, they're already consuming those foods anyway. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. Thank you. I think it's just helpful to know that if you're moving in that direction, that's helpful. You don't have to be 100%. I mean, that would be ideal, but a lot of people, it's really hard and then feel like you just fall off the wagon. Right, right. And everybody has to do what they feel is right for them. That's what's sort of interesting about making lifestyle changes. I can't tell you or anybody else what they should do. The person has to really understand, you know, what their goals, their health goals are, and then what they want to achieve. What's interesting is that once you move in that direction, for many people, they see, wow, this is easier than mm-hmm. I thought. And especially if you identify um, foods and options that are easy for you. One Thanksgiving, it was so funny because I always had a lot of vegetarian and vegan friends. So I was cooking, I made a turkey, and then I took some tofu and I I get that extra firm kind and I just slice it and then I just cook it in a pan and then I put a little like, um, whether it's Uh, like a bruschetta sauce or some sort of marinara on top. So I gave some to my dad, who is 100% Italian, and my dad ate it, and he said, (laughs) that fish is pretty good. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah. So I realized that, you know, for even for somebody like my father, you know, I just said, hey, Dad, try this. Mm -hmm. If they find something 
that they like, it makes it much easier to transition Mm -hmm. and to try more and more plant foods. Optimally, though, you want to do those whole food plant-based options. Like I'd rather have someone try like a bean soup or split pea soup or lentil soup or, you know, grilling tofu versus even though they're super popular, the Beyond Meat burgers and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. While they, I do have sometimes have those. Um, I just went to a barbecue where they serve them. But they're not, they're very processed. Mm -hmm. They're a highly processed food. And one of the tenets of, you know, eating a healthier diet is just to eat less processed foods. Mm -hmm. And they're incredibly high. They have about, I think, 22 grams of fat. So they have a lot of fat. Yeah. So speaking of that, I know a lot of women are conscious about their weight and would like to maybe think about this in a weight loss. Is that possible with plant-based eating and how would you help someone with that? Absolutely. Is it possible? I mean, that's one of the things that I hear over and over again from women and men, um, that when you eat plant-based, you get to eat so much more food. So like if you compared, um, like a typical meal with a couple, maybe a thousand calories, you could eat a large salad, cups and cups of vegetables because a lot of the vegetables are just 25 calories a cup so if you just augment your meal with a large salad with several cups of vegetables um, you're going to be really full because the thing that there are two foods that are the slowest at leaving the stomach and one of them is fiber Mm -hmm. so the more fiber you eat the more full you feel for a longer time and that is one of the big keys that satiety or that feeling of fullness Mm -hmm. um so eating lots of fruits veggies whole grains with lots of fiber beans that's why beans are so filling Mm -hmm. they have a lot of fiber so they stay in your stomach longer And um, so you end up feeling full. And so not only do these things have fiber and they make you feel full, but um, they're low, typically low in calories. A lot of the, especially the non-starchy vegetables, you know, the carrots, tomatoes, cucumbers, you know, snap peas, that kind of thing. Very, very low in calories. So asparagus, which is my favorite (laughs) vegetable. Yes. (laughs) So super low in calories. Yeah, so that's helpful. So women that maybe want to lose weight, if is there, again, like a website that they could go to? Because I think people think, oh, I need more protein. I think the keto diet is pretty popular right now. So it is so opposite of the plant-based. It is hard to believe that people lose weight on the keto um, diet. Well, or- you know, the other food that causes satiety is really fat. So, or and well, protein, protein, um, probably even more so in a sense. But um, so, when you think about the long-term implications of doing a ketogenic diet, could you explain a ketogenic yes, diet? Yes. Okay. So, a ketogenic diet is a diet that has not a lot of carbs. So really very minimal carbs. And the point is that your body is burning fat. And there is really amazing evidence that it works if you have a child that has epilepsy and they can't treat that epilepsy with medication. So a ketogenic diet works for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a lot of other people have sort of jumped on the bandwagon 
and adopted a ketogenic diet. And the the, the evidence now right now there is this. Uh, research scientist from Harvard who wants to do more research on the ketogenic diet and look at, you know, the implications for health. Um, But we're not there with the evidence. And this is what often happens with the fads. You know, the, the testimonials and the the information sort of outweighs the evidence and we don't have it right there in terms of what are the long-term implications um, what are the long-term implications in terms of cardiovascular disease, cancer, longevity? We don't have it. Mm. Where we do have that for eating more plant foods. So while some, you know, I've heard people talk about it, especially students. I've heard a lot of students talk about the ketogenic diet. A lot of the, like, fitness trainers and people like that, um, uh, they are proponents of that kind of a diet, but we just don't. It's just like coconut oil. There's some interesting facets of coconut oil, but the evidence, we don't have the evidence. Mm. That's when you have, um, when you get these uh, fad types of things like bone broth or the paleo diet. The interesting thing about the paleo diet is there there is evidence, but the longest study they have is in postmenopausal women for two years that were they were either pre-diabetic or diabetic. And basically, after a couple years, they couldn't do the diet anymore. And that's another problem with these diets is that um, when you're limiting your food selection so much and you can't eat any carbohydrate or very, very little, how long can you sustain that for? And is that really healthy? Part, one of the um, benefits of eating plant foods and or carbohydrate foods are the phytochemicals. So, you know, limiting um, certain food categories, you're also limiting nutrients and phytochemicals that are potentially um, contributing to good health. Do you know how long the ketogenic diet has been around and what kind of research has been done on that? Well, the um, like I said, the well, I don't know when that first started, but for epilepsy... Um, it, there is evidence for everything else. There, there's not enough evidence. It's been popular right now among athletes, like tri-athletes, super athletes that are mm. doing the diet. And I just wonder if, you know, maybe they do it for six months or a year. But you're well, right, you it know, doesn't seem sustainable. Well, it, it's interesting because when you're an athlete, you when, once you hit the wall and all that, and you're just burning fat, you know, that is... Um, actually incredibly painful if you're running a marathon apparently i've never done it but <laughs> maybe you have i don't know um but um so but it's not really optimal to be in ketosis actually means that you're starving this is what happened when we didn't have food and we were literally burning our own fat which isn't um, necessarily optimal. It's not. It's certainly not how we were designed. And on the idea of this paleo diet, or what did our ancestors consume? There's this whole idea of no beans, or you know, don't have carbohydrate. That is absolutely not true. There's a really great TED talk. I think it's called "Debunking the Paleo Diet," but it's a woman that studies. You know, looks at. Um, the data from Paleolithic man, and they ate all kinds of um, carbohydrate foods. And if you lived in Mexico, yes, you ate beans. And they also ate other things. They ate um, insects and 
um, grasses and things that we probably wouldn't want, worms, you know, that we probably wouldn't want to eat. So mm -hmm. the paleo diet or what are the diet of our ancestors definitely included lots of carbohydrate. And when they were lucky enough to catch something, they had animal products. But that certainly was not a given. They were gathering foods and it was a lot, lots of, you know, um, plant plant foods mm -hmm. and not the kind of plant foods that we get now we have through plant breeding changed our food to make it sweeter because we like that but the the foods that they consumed were probably higher uh, less high in sugar mm -hmm. well i think that's what takes me back to the blue zone diet is if you look at these people that are living into their hundreds and you look at the five different regions and the things that overlap it's definitely minimal animal products yes. and a lot of plant. And then I was going to ask about how important lifestyle community that support, because it did talk quite a bit about, it's not just what they were eating because they were, it was different in each region. Right. Uh, but how important is that in diet and health? Uh, it's incredibly important. Um, so part of the blue zone was they looked at, Lifestyle, the people typically didn't drink alcohol or smoke, and they had strong community involvement. Often, like for example, in California, Loma Linda, that's the Seventh-day Adventists. So they have strong support groups, strong help from the community. So in each of these areas, the things that were identified and that strong support was one of the key parts. So it's not just about... Um, you know, eating vegetarian or semi-vegetarian. And I would point out, like in Okinawa, they do eat fish, and mm -hmm. they are the longest living of them all. Mm -hmm. So um, so it is interesting. But they don't eat it like what how we do it here. It's, it's different. It's more like a condiment. It's mm -hmm. not like this giant plate of fish and then mm -hmm. a baked potato or something. And they talked about just making it sacred and being very mindful about what they're doing in a community sense. Uh, could we talk just a little bit about mindful eating, what that means and how important that is when you're eating to be mindful? Yeah, I mean, mindful mindful eating is such an important um, part of being healthy because people are just completely unconscious about what they're consuming. Um, Partially, it's because I think that this food is everywhere. That's how our food environment has changed. And, um, you know, you could be going to Home Depot and buying, you know, a filter for your air conditioner. And then at the checkout, there's candy and, you know. Hot dog, I think they sell now. Yes. Yeah. Um, but right at the checkout, I mean, anywhere you go, basically, mm -hmm. getting gas or anywhere. So being mindful of your choices and what you're consuming and how you're consuming it is incredibly important. So mindfulness is really just about paying attention. There is this um, sort of a famous experiment where you just, you know, you consume a raisin and you chew the raisin, you close your eyes, and what does it feel like? What does it taste like? So you're really paying attention to what you're consuming. But translating, you know, that mindfulness to everyday life can be hard for people. So it's definitely slowing down your eating and paying attention to when you take a bite, the textures of the food and and how it tastes and 
and paying attention. Uh, I think especially for women, we're so busy that we like to multitask and we do so many different things that we're not mindful or paying attention to what we're doing. So I... (laughs) I have a story about not being mindful, which was I had a friend that was on a television show and I was all excited for her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's on this big show on TV. So I was going to make pasta. I had this whole wheat pasta and I'm holding it in my hand. And, you know, every once in a while I might have a couple dry pieces of pasta. In this case, I'm sitting there watching my friend and I was so engrossed, I ate like half a bag of dry pasta. I ended up creating a bowel obstruction and ended up over several days in the ER. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. It was me that figured out, oh my gosh, I ate all this dry pasta because if you don't drink enough water, that's going to get stuck somewhere in your GI tract. So I learned an extreme lesson of not paying attention to what you're consuming. But we do it every day when you sit in front of the TV set and the next thing you know, you've eaten the entire bag of potato chips. Mm -hmm. Or you're at work and you're sitting at your desk and there's a thing of a container of nuts and you eat the whole thing of nuts. Mm -hmm. So we don't pay attention. And you know, a big part of it too, I think we're sort of divorced from our feelings of hunger or our feelings of fullness. We, um, you know, a lot of times because of the diet culture, we ignore that when that is our biggest asset and our biggest ally. Paying attention, okay, I'm hungry, have something to eat. Okay, I'm full, it's okay to stop eating. So we sort of ignore that. And you know, one other thing that is related to mindfulness in an indirect way, And that is our food environment. And at home, I try to not have all that junk food that I'm tempted to eat. And for me, it's potato chips. So like, especially those salt and pepper ones, I, if I have them at my house, I'll just eat the whole bag. So basically I can't have it at home. And we talk a lot about willpower, we should have willpower, but willpower is a limited resource that we use in social situations. We use it to be civil to our coworkers, our spouse, our children, people on the road that cut us off. And oftentimes our willpower is depleted. And so we have depleted willpower in a really unhealthy food environment. So making sure that at your home, at the very least, the bad stuff is hidden away or not better yet, not even there. So that when you come home, you know, you can choose these healthy foods and then being mindful, being mindful of these satiety, Mm, hunger and satiety cues and being mindful of what you're consuming and paying attention to it and not doing what I did with the the pasta. (laughs) No, that's good. That's a very good story. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, that we can be so distracted and just be putting things into our mouth that really, if we think about it, that doesn't sound good at all. I mean, if I'm going to put something in my mouth, I really should enjoy it and appreciate it. Um, I mean, talk about a weight loss plan. That right. sounds like a really good one. Actually, yeah. There are many dietitians that work with people just focusing on mindful eating and people lose weight just by, you know, going... Yeah being more mindful of what they're consuming. Mm -hmm. The big problem is, you know, you're sitting, I would say don't even eat at your desk at work Mm -hmm. and don't eat in front of the television set. Those are the two places where 
we get into trouble. Or driving. Yeah. I mean, I have one yeah. client that eats sunflower seeds while he's driving. And, mm-hmm. you know, I did that once driving to the Grand Canyon and I gained like three pounds over mm-hmm. the trip on the way there and back. So really learned, okay, eating a bunch of nuts and seeds, even though they're plant-based, they're about 800 calories a cup. Mm-hmm. Yes, if you're, you know, can have small, limited to a handful of nuts, um, but, you know, having these large quantities is, and indiscriminately in places where it's hard to control, you know, that's, that's where we get into trouble. That's good. So in closing, would you share with us just three healthy practices that you have found over the years for yourself that have helped you to maintain a healthy lifestyle? What what really is your core kind of go-to things, routines that okay. help you? Oh, and that's a really great point. When you create a routine in your life, you no longer have to use willpower mm-hmm. to make a choice, just like brushing your teeth. So for me, I would say the three healthy things. One is I always like to have lots of I'm not a big cook. I just feel like I don't want to cook that much. So if I cook, I make a big pot of something and then I have it for um, later. So that's probably one strategy is I'll Mm -hmm. make a large pot of lentil soup or um, split pea soup or chili and sometimes I'll freeze it or maybe I'll make some veggie burgers that I like and I'll freeze those. So I'm not cooking as much because I'm not a big fan. And the other one I would say is I like to have lots of uh, fruits and veggies, like things that I don't have to cook. So like I like those little cherry tomatoes. I like those snap peas. I like um, the baby carrots. Um, I like radishes. And sometimes you can buy them already prepared. Um, I like having lots of fruits. I like having lots of frozen fruits. So making it really easy for me to get these um, and, and then I could have like hummus with, if I'm busy and I don't want to cook dinner, I could have that. Accessible. Yeah. Very accessible. And the last thing I think is just spending time in nature. And there's mm-hmm. nothing that makes me feel happier than just being in a quiet, beautiful, whether I'm at the beach or, um, you know, hiking or even sitting in my backyard looking at the tree, like spending, you know, some time in nature. That's great. It's just really, really important. Well, for me. <laughs> yes. No, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. for sharing with us your You're experience, welcome. your expertise, your knowledge, your education. And oh, 25 years of practicing is phenomenal, the wisdom that you have. And I just appreciate you taking this time to invest into helping women become healthy. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. It was fun. And I really appreciate all the things. You, and you're excellent. I love your... Um, your Instagram. Oh, thank you. It's fun. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Balanced by Beth is a podcast to inspire women to live strong. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personal medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Little Green Forks, healthy food delivery and catering, whole food, plant-based, low-fat, Get healthy, delicious meals delivered right to your door. Visit littlegreenforks.com.